I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Chosen Family from CBC Podcasts, hosted by Montreal comedians and queer best friends Thomas LeBlanc and Trana Winter, shines a light on the intersection of art, community, and sexuality. And they're back with a brand new third season. Get ready for deep and spontaneous conversations featuring up-and-coming creators and renowned artists. Now, here's the first episode. The soul has its own shape, and within that, we have free will. But we don't have free will to be something other than what we are. Astrology is math and its patterns, and it doesn't fix any of our problems. You got to do more than know. You got to integrate what you know and practice it. And just like that, season three of Chosen Family. My name is Thomas LeBlanc. I'm Trana Winter. We're back. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Wow. That was Jessica Lignato you just heard. She's a writer, astrologer, and a triple Capricorn. We got to ask her every question we had about astrology. More with her later in the show. We are uh, in January 2021. We are recording this a few weeks before we launched a season. Um, And I was reflecting this morning that we actually came up with the idea of doing a podcast four years ago this month, which is so strange because I feel we've been friends for so much longer. I know. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it Mm. really does feel like a hundred years. A lot happened. (laughs) And at the time, it was a few months after what we just now call November 2016. We all know what that means. And we needed something. We needed a project to survive what I knew at the time would be four very challenging years. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I had it. I felt it in my body and I wasn't right. wrong. Absolutely. And it's interesting that four years on, now the context is so different. Now we can't actually be face to face with each other. We can't share the same spaces. But this show really is about that idea of making connections and understanding how the coming together of chosen families in the making of art is the only thing that will save us. We're terrible copers. You and I, we I have like terrible coping mechanisms. Terrible. <laughs> but we want to learn and we want to do this with you. So people who are listening, if you're new to chosen family or if you know, you've been there all along, um, we'll be there coping with you through the season. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. Physically distanced. Yeah, don't per- worry, listeners. In person. <laughs> um, how have you been? <laughs> <laughs> just a casual question. Just a casual question. I don't know. I'm just... It's been bleak. Yeah, it's... it's uh, 
It's a pretty intense experience. I mean, you're still on social media. I, I do see you a lot. Because I live media. alone right. and social media feels like my only connection to people in a way. It kind of, I kind of feel like Belle and Beauty and the Beast, you know, the mirror that the Beast gives her that can like show her anything she wants to see. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like my phone has become and my phone never leaves my side now. Am I the Beast in this? <laughs> <laughs> I think I am. No, but I just like this is not normal. <laughs> there are limits to how much I and anyone can be mm-hmm. alone. And I think that being cut off from performing, being cut off from an audience is stripping me of my confidence, mm-hmm. my empowerment. Because I, it feels knowing you, because I didn't know you at the time, but it feels that stepping up like stepping on a stage and coming out as who you are really came at the same time and we're really connected. For me, performing is not really a profession, you Mm -hmm. know, like it's this essential part of my being because Mm -hmm. I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid for it, even if it wasn't a career. It's just something that is a need for me. The thing I miss is laughing. (laughs) The thing I really, really miss is laughing altogether. That's what performing is for me. It's Mm. It's an experience that we all share together, whether it's laughing or all crying together or being shocked and surprised together. It's the togetherness Mm -hmm. of that experience. Do you have any like coping rituals or anything that you do to feel a little bit better? You know, one thing in a way this might maybe sound depressing, hopefully not too depressing, but that has at least allowed me to sort of at the end of the day release this negativity that I tend to carry me is um, just like putting on my headphones and listening to really sappy, over-emotional songs and just like crying (laughs) But in this like beautiful, uplifting way that allows me to like purge the emotion. Are you 12 or what? Yes. What song? Well, lately it's like Bee Gees yes, everything. Yes, of course. Their vocals and their melodies <laughs> are just like divine. It's like even if you're in the best mood, this is like going to devastate you. But it's it's like, it's just this purge, right. you know, so that I do actually sleep well, believe it or ah! not. <laughs> Thanks to the Gibbs. <laughs> okay, I love that. Um, on the subject of coping, I have to um, tell you how I have been coping. Yes, <laughs> tell <laughs> because me. Because it's so fucking silly. <laughs> I'm fully addicted to... YouTube videos by astrologers who make weekly, monthly, seasonal, yearly predictions for all signs, for new moons, full moons, (laughs) uh, planet conjunctions. There is so much content. And I kid you not, I have seen all of it. What is it about astrology that draws you in so much like what does it actually bring to your life i think i'm just a very spiritual person in general and i just dislike organized religion or um structures or hierarchies that would tell me what to do or if i have to follow certain teachings um and astrology for me 
It's a joke, a game, an art. I love the evasion and I love the escape of of being like, oh my God, Mercury's retrograde or there's a full moon in, in Cancer and that's going to change this for me or that for me. And I love to make generalizations. I thought you believed in it way more than this because exactly. people associate it with you now it's my brand you know i'm, and, a, I'm a daddy astrologer and you got me into it and now people associate <laughs> me with it too come on you believe in this you're just trying to save your ass right now i know and make it seem like you don't but come on i know i sound like i'm backpedaling i believe in astrology and i know i sound foolish for saying it but i do because it makes sense and there's just like something that connected with me with the cycles of the moon and the planets and the sort of like the energy of the different signs and in different houses. I don't know why it works for me, but it really works. No, I think it's okay. You don't have to justify it. I think part of what I love about astrology is it allowed me to articulate things about yeah. myself that I up until then was only feeling but mm. could never fully put my finger on. When someone says something so specifically and succinctly, that moment of recognition can be really powerful, especially if you hold on to it and actually use it to help yourself evolve. Well, this is a great segue into today's conversation. Our guest today is Jessica Lignato. She is an astrologer and psychic medium. And I know for some people, as soon as they hear those words, they sort of jump to skepticism. But my spiritual leader, Alanis Morissette, follows Jessica on Instagram. And that's all that I need to know that Jessica is the real deal. She is now based in the Bay Area, and for 11 years, she was writing the horoscope column for the Bay Guardian, the Alt Weekly in San Francisco. So she's really, really established in her community. She has a new book out. Which I loved. It's called Astrology for Real Relationships. I really had the best time talking with her, and she's someone with great insight into the energies of this moment and how we're all trying to navigate these really difficult circumstances. And I hope that in this conversation, you'll find some inspiration. We spoke to Jessica from her home in the Bay Area, and she revealed that she had a special connection to the city of Montreal. I was raised in Montreal. No Je way, where? That's all I can say. That's my whole connection. No, I'm just <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was raised in Montreal, and then I, in 1994, moved to San Francisco to be a lesbian astrologer. I mean, it doesn't get more hippie than, like, Montreal to San Francisco, really. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. It really doesn't. How did, you, how did you get into astrology? How did it start to make sense for you? And because it feels like you, you know, you're very passionate about astrology and you've been into it for a very long time, as, as, you, as you said. But also you've been sort of, like, experiencing the different phases of your own life through astrology. So walk us a little bit through that experience. I have always been really interested in astrology. I, I've i always had kind of like a, a vibe for it, so much so that for my 12th birthday, my mother bought me Sidney Omar. I don't know if you remember. You're probably both too young for this. But Sidney Omar was the astrologer that whenever you went to like Steinberg's, remember that 
That, okay, you do. Oh, you do. wow. So Steinberg's. Whenever you went to Steinberg's, which was like a grocery store, uh, the big grocery store, when you were standing online to pay, there were these little scrolls written by a man named Sidney Oh, my Sydney God, the Omar. scrolls. And do you remember this a little bit? <laughs> yes, they I remember the, the scrolls. I them. didn't know who wrote them, but I remember yeah. the scrolls. The scrolls. Let me walk you through uh, our shared memories. So the he also wrote books. So my mom got me a book about Capricorn, and I read it like a Bible for years until I went to new, new school at Dawson College and in Montreal. And um, we, we sat in circles, and we didn't have teachers. We had facilitators. You know, it was like this amazing thing. And there was a Jungian psychologist who taught uh, Jungian psychology in the main school at Dawson. But upstairs in the attic at new school, he taught an introduction to astrology from a Jungian perspective. This was in 19... 91 or two. And I took that class and I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm I'm going to be an astrologer. Um, I came out of the closet very shortly after that, probably within six months of that. Um, and then I was like, okay, so if I'm going to be a gay astrologer, <laughs> I'm going to move to San Francisco. And I moved to San Francisco and I studied and I studied and I studied. And then I started making my full-time living through astrology by the end of 1999. Astrology is such a vast field that you can study your whole life and still be a student. So how would you then define what astrology is for people who don't or people who think it is just the back page of a magazine and you look at the sign that corresponds to your date of birth? Is it like a religion? Is it a belief system? How does it differ from that side of things? Great questions. Thank you for asking. Okay, I'll answer your second question first. Astrology is not a belief system. Astrology is a tool, and it is a tool that can be used by a religious Christian or a, like, gay fairy or, like, you know, it can be used by anyone with any kind of spiritual convictions or beliefs um, because it is an inert tool. It is simply the study of the movement of the planets through the zodiacal degrees, and we can cast charts based on that data to understand cycles and trends. I love that you bring up cycles and trends because it's really when I started understanding these that I got very, very obsessed with astrology. Um, and in your book, Astrology for Real Relationships, you actually encourage people to look into the cycles and trends of their own birth charts to try to understand how we relate to other people. And you've actually organized the book in three sections, one on long-term relationships, then there's a section on dating and hooking up, and then there's a third section on friendships and chosen families. What can astrology teach us about friendship? Astrology describes what kind of a friend we are, how we need our friends, how we show up for our friends. I am so sick of these heteronormative books being like relationships in astrology equals your long-term monogamous committed heterosexual union. I reject that. I don't like gendering planets. I don't I don't like the limited way that astrology has historically been used. It is um it's just not how I use astrology. Yeah, well, when you read about astrology online or watch YouTube videos, that's really what they tell you is if you want to find your compatibility with other people, you have to look for Venus and Mars in your birth chart. Mars represents the masculine energy and Venus, the feminine energy. I don't buy that at all. I don't believe that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. That's fucking ridiculous. And what about everyone else of every other gender? You know, and and so I wanted to create a book that was 
queered, you know, so it's for all people of all sexualities, but it is a queered uh, approach to astrology, which is my approach to astrology. I think the only reason why astrology hasn't encompassed this historically is because of who got published. You know, like you're talking about how this is so rooted in history and this is not anything new and fundamentally it's a tool. Um, But there are people that are such skeptics of this. And I would say like, even beyond being skeptical, being also sometimes judgmental and thinking that it's actually stupid and silly. And I'm just curious about how do you address that sort of perspective on astrology? So as a Montrealer, I uh, I am not that sensitive. I have had people rolling their eyes at me my whole life about astrology. And I'll tell you the one thing that all those people have in common, they don't know anything about astrology. And when people are have fixed ideas about a topic they have done no research into, that is a reflection on them and not the topic itself. The truth is, I personally think fantasy football is stupid. That said, <laughs> I don't know what fantasy football is. You know what I mean? Like, I know it has something to do with computer games and straight men and football, but that's all I know. So I know that my my kind of perspective on fantasy football is uneducated. So I personally wouldn't go on a rant or claim myself educated enough to speak on fantasy football. There's there's like two parts of what I want to speak to on this. One is not everybody has to like everything. That's fine with me. Um, and, and I want to hold space for some people just don't like astrology. There's also that there's a way that in American society in the West, so Canada, the U.S., what have you, um, astrology was really marketed and branded as like a woman's thing. And so there's something inherently misogynistic um, about the way that Western society regards astrology as this silly girl thing that silly girls do. And um, again, that is about capitalism branding and marketing is something to do with astrology. People always ask me, like, how do you handle haters? And I don't, it has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? If somebody is a skilled astrologer and has studied astrology and does not like my uh, my methodology, or they think that my interpretations are flawed, I want to know about that. Um, but I don't necessarily care about somebody who has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> a bit basic, but what is the real deal with Mercury retrograde? Because of all the astrological phenomena, this is the one that really seems to have gone mainstream. And even people who don't know anything about astrology love to blame everything going wrong in the moment on Mercury being retrograde. So what is the deal? And how does Mercury retrograde really affect our lives? Okay, Mercury retrograde. So Mercury retrograde is when the planet Mercury appears to be moving backwards through the sky. It happens a couple few times a year. And every time it happens, it messes with communications. And the reason why all of a sudden everybody knows about Mercury retrograde and cares is because of the internet. DMs, emails, texts, social media are all Mercury. These kinds of like evidential things where you're like, well, I can tell it's Mercury retrograde because all my plans are getting messed up and none of my emails are making it out of my inbox. That 
is why people know about it. And the reason why Mercury retrograde occurs or like what's what we're supposed to get out of it is it's supposed to be a time where we instead of um, just talking at people where we reflect on what we've learned, we take stock of our own attitudes, our friendships, anything mercurial. Um, And it's meant to be kind of like a check. We're not meant to be pushing out and making plans. We're meant to be reflecting in and kind of reassessing things. Right. So how is the best way to navigate Mercury retrograde? Like, what should we be doing sort of concretely to hopefully, if even possible, make it as easy a transition (laughs) as possible? So a lot of things. One thing is be patient because people will mess things up People will misunderstand. There will be miscommunications. And so if you're patient and you're generous in your thinking and in your attitude, then your life is easier, you know? So that's one thing. The other thing is plans. Best of luck with that. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's really about, like, if you can avoid making major plans or signing contracts uh, during Mercury Retrograde, that's great. If you have to sign a contract, if you have to make plans, read the contract. Don't just skim mm-hmm. the contract. Read the contract. If you're not sure about what someone's saying, ask a question. I generally like to make it a practice during Mercury retrograde. When somebody says something to me that's important, I reiterate it to them. This is this is actually really good advice. I feel for for you know for uh, the the whole year. Uh, not only when Mercury's retrograde. Another concept that has gotten extremely popular over the last decade is that of the Saturn return. So according to astrologers, when Saturn hits the same spot where it was when we were born, that usually happens in our late 20s, that has an impact on people's lives. Of course, it's very hard to know if that's true or not. But what is exactly the Saturn return? So the Saturn return, there's a couple of reasons why people are really aware of it. One is because it happens to everyone at around 29 years old, right? So it is like clockwork. In fact, Saturn governs clocks and linear time, right? And so it's when we, um, it's when we become an adult is the Saturn return. It's when we start being able to separate from our childhood self and step into real authority over who we are and how we do what we do. And so what comes up for a couple years leading up to your Saturn return is you feel like you're running out of time. You feel like um, you need to get your shit together immediately. Otherwise, you're screwed forever, which may or may not be the case, but that's how it feels. Generally, during the set, the two years leading up to that Saturn return, so like 26, 27, you start to look around your friend circle and you're like, who are these people? Are, do they actually reflect what I care about? Like, does this matter to me or are they just a reaction to my reaction to my childhood? And we start needing to take more responsibility. So usually relationships fall apart, community changes, career starts to feel more meaningful. The sudden return is when you want to start being comfortable because the kind of toll of the compromises you've made, they sit different in your skin. You know, often when I say to people in their 20s that you become an adult at 29, they roll their eyes at me, understandably. But the truth is your 20s are the adult years of your childhood and your 30s are the youth of your adulthood. A lot of people come to astrology during their Saturn return because they're like, what the fuck is happening? And they're looking for answers. And then astrology is like, oh, here, let me tell you what's happening. 
but also astrology is being commodified. It's everywhere. It's on social media, um, some talk shows of house astrologers, uh, there are horoscope apps, of course. So what do you make of that? And what is good about this moment of having more people inquiring? And also what is not so good about this moment, seeing astrology being kind of used by uh, everyone um, to say all sorts of things? Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's important. Um, so there's a lot of things. The last time we had astrology be the bell of the ball was in the 1970s, right? Um, and in the 1970s, there was like Aquarius t-shirts and Libra mugs and Virgo toques or whatever. Like it was just like everywhere. But that was all that, that they could do to commodify it. When astrology started to become popular in the internet over the last decade, a lot of older astrologers who've lived through the 1970s or first came into astrology in the 1970s were like, oh, hell no, not this again. <laughs> like people, older astrologers that I'm connected to were just like, this is going to be terrible for astrology. Memes are the worst thing for real astrologers. Now, what I've seen, though, which is what you're kind of naming, is that there are apps now and it's not going away. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that. What is so wonderful about this period and, and this particular incarnation of astrology being so popular is that the internet and computers have democratized astrology for the first time in human history. Because when I first learned in the early 1990s, when you wanted to learn how to use an, how to draw an astrology chart, you actually had to draw it by math. And that is a barrier of entry. Who has the fucking time to sit around spending six hours on math? Now, computers have made it so that anybody can pull up their birth chart, like in seconds. Another wonderful thing is that people of color, queers, women who have historically not been published all of a sudden can self-publish through the internet. And that has radically changed the face of astrology. And I think the popularity of astrology because it's become so much more accessible to so many more people. And, you know, truth talk, queers have always embraced astrology um, because there's a way that queers have been rejected from organized religion. So we seek it elsewhere. We seek our, our connection to meaning and purpose and the divine elsewhere. Um, and astrology is non-denominational, non-judgmental, you know. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. So I want to move into a little bit more of the specifics of how astrology can be used as a tool, as you've described. So I think in direct relationship to this popularity of astrology that we're seeing, people are moving beyond their sun sign. And now a lot of people know their rising sign and their moon sign. And I know that those are quite vast subjects, but I'm wondering as sort of simply as possible can you explain what the difference is between a sun sign, a rising sign, and a moon sign? Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, in order to determine 
an accurate moon sign and your rising sign. You need to know your exact time of birth and your location of birth. So the rising sign denotes which zodiac sign was rising in the eastern hemisphere from the location and moment of your birth. The moon governs your emotions. It's how you process emotions, how you take care of others, your memories, not necessarily what we want to be seen as, but how we feel about how we're seen. Um, And the reason why we know about sun signs is arguably because the sun represents your identity and your sense of self and your will. I am is the key phrase for the sun. It's like, I am this, right? Your moon sign is very different. Your moon sign is I feel. And then the rising sign, the rising sign is the energy you throw into a room when you first enter it. It's kind of mm. like your persona. So when we talk about rising signs, we talk about the way a person physically looks. You know what I mean? Like really long forehead, uh, high Sagittarius rising. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can go there. We can go there. Like the anyways, I won't I won't give you like lists, but that's those are like the broad strokes of what those right. three things mean. And now you mentioned like these songs, but when I understood the idea of the house system and how these songs were kind of like layered on the houses, the houses make so much sense because it's the evolution from the sense, the self and the intimate and what we really are at the core to the world. Even though we can agree or not with astrology, we, we, we can all agree that like we all try to balance like home and career and all and relationships and, and the house system really makes sense for all of this. Um, how do you explain the house system really, really basically to people who are, don't really know much about it? Before I answer, I will say I'm obsessed with the houses, like obsessed with the houses. I love <laughs> that you said this. OK, so this is the way I describe it, like super one on one styles. Each house you can think of as a stage in a Broadway play. And it's set up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for appreciating my metaphors. Um, so it's it's set. So it's like each house is a play. It, it's the kind of like landscape where things take place. And then the planets that are in the house are like the actors. Basically, it's just understanding how the energy of the planet in that house affects that area of your life. Yes. It, it's, right? Yes. It's like, okay, so can I use you as an example? Yeah, for sure. Okay. okay. So if you have moon in Scorpio, um, there's a hypersensitivity to how people feel about you that can sometimes feel like, oh, gee, they feel this way about me. And other times be like, I don't give a fuck. Fuck them all. It's about... Figuring out where your emotional boundaries need to exist. And that doesn't mean um, minimizing your intensity. Because right. Moon and Scorpio people, especially if you're in the fucking 12th house, you're going to be mad intense. You wait, go, wait, wait. We have a list. We have a list of celebrities with Moon and Scorpio. Trying to want to run the list. Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Bjork, Whoopi Goldberg, RuPaul, Jennifer Lopez, Alanis, Morissette, Mariah Carey. They all have their Moon and Scorpio. So what what is it about the Moon and Scorpio that translates into these like larger-than-life performers. Moon and Scorpio, very good at protecting their private life because they're so private, while also compulsively self-disclosing. Moon and Scorpio. (laughs) Trana, that's you. (laughs) (laughs) It's real. It's so real. It's just like I have to tell everyone everything. I can't keep it inside slash, oh, my God, don't look at me. 
Um, and that's what a lot of those famous people do. They're total divas. They're totally, like, in their power in the world, but they're all really good at crafting how other people get to see them and how much mm. the public gets to know about them. I mean, oh, God, this is so, like, it's so insightful. It's so just mind-blowing to me. I mean, I just want you to tell me my whole life and what's ahead of me. <laughs> I mean, all I would need is your birth chart and I would tell you it all. I mean, I don't mean to freak you out, but it's kind of what I do. It's kind of I what know. I do. Yeah. Everything that we've just been talking about in relation to our moon in Scorpio and Pluto in the 12th house, it is so specific. It results in information that is so detailed. It's not just saying someone's sensitive. You know, you're talking about boundaries. You're talking about very specific, unique personality traits. And all of this is information that is derived simply from what the sky looked like in the moment in time that I came into the world. So, for example, if when I was born, my mother had gotten my birth chart done and, you know, had had all of these sort of things about me revealed to her, I have become that person. You know, like when I was reading your book and I was reading about all of the aspects of my chart and how they relate to relationships, like I am all of those things. And again, which is all so specific. So my question to you is, is our personality and our character preordained and unavoidable? Great question. Yes and no. You have free will. You have free will within your nature. So you do not have the free will to be Paris Hilton, a blonde heiress in the U.S., right? Class, race, ability, uh, sexuality, gender, all of these things are factors to be considered by an astrologer. You do not have your free will to be anything and anyone. But within your nature, which is preordained, you do have free will. The soul has its own shape. And within that, we have free will. But we don't have free will to be something other than what we are. So there's many, many, right. many versions of what we are. Astrology is math and it's patterns and it doesn't fix any of our problems. Knowing is only half the battle. You know what I mean? Like you got to do more than know. You got to integrate what you know and practice it. So astrology is obviously very useful for uh, interpersonal relationships and personal birth charts, but also some people have used it um, to predict world events. I have been compulsively watching astrologers on YouTube over the course of 2020, even revisiting things they've published the years prior, trying to see what the F is going on. Like, how can we make sense of the world that we live in based on these really like these big movements like like Saturn and, and, and Jupiter? And, you know, how can we make sense of all of this? So there's the kind of astrology you're referring to is called mundane astrology. Very little is new. Right. So when we look at, for instance, Saturn moved into the sign of Aquarius um, mid-December. Okay. The last time it was in the sign of Aquarius was in uh, the mid 90s during the Rodney King riots. But also, but also Saturn was in Aquarius for a little bit during the Black yes. Lives Matter March yes. in June. That's the other thing. When it started. Exactly. Yeah. So Saturn popped into Aquarius for a minute in 2020. And it is when there was um, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter protests. And when 
so many people felt the call and stepped into it. So when we look at mundane events, we are looking at cycles and trends. All that you're saying to people who have no idea really how that would work, they're like, what? Like, this makes no sense. You know, there's like a breakdown of scientific consensus right now. And there's a lot of online noise. And, you know, we see people who don't believe what we are, what is presented as truth, what is what is presented as facts, um, you know, anti-vaxxers, COVID deniers, flat earthers, conspiracy theorists. Like, so part of me is also um, conflicted because I'm like, am I just like falling prey to like another conspiracy or how? How can I stay critical through all of this? And, you know, and, and it feels like it's just like this overarching like crisis of belief where we're all in our corner, you know, in our own bubble, in our own feedback loop, kind of believing what we believe. And then I'm just it's it's a really scary moment at the same time. You know, I have a lot of optimism, but I'm also very scared of that moment and how we, we believe what we believe can really shape society. I'm really glad you mentioned that because. I mean, I'm not optimistic. I have no optimism in my nature whatsoever. Um, I think the worst is coming. That said, I mean, sorry, but I'm a triple Capricorn. So be not surprised that I expect the worst. Um, and I will say it is really a slippery slope um, from astrology and wellness to things like Q and other really hate-based, destructive cults and um, beliefs. And I think it's very important to be critical um, of everything that you consume. I think it's important to be critical of astrology. And it's important to vet things, to check sources. So, you know, when using something like astrology to look at world events, you want to Take in that astrology and then read the fucking news. Don't abandon common sense. We could not agree more. I mean, I can say that because, I mean, Thomas and I talk about this stuff a lot. Um, and I guess on that note, and to wrap up, even though I literally never want to stop talking to you. Never stop. <laughs> with all of that said and, and everything that we've discussed together um, this evening, what do you anticipate the rest of the year looking like for us collectively? Okay. So um, the kind of big astrology news of 2021 is the Saturn-Uranus square. This transit is very, very stressful. Saturn square to Uranus um, is reality, stability, um, that which we can rely upon, Saturn, forming a tense aspect to Uranus, which is autonomy, individuality, freedom, growth. We can expect delayed progress, frustrations. We can expect this year to be a continuation of all sides not getting what they want. So to me, the indication here, first of all, is COVID. She ain't going nowhere. You know what I mean? Like that is a big thing um, that, that I think is worth stating because the economic, social, and psychological impact of that is hard to talk about anything else in a way. What I would recommend is patience. There will be obstructions. There will be, um, there will be stumbling blocks. And that's okay. It's not fucking good, but it's okay. Um, this transit doesn't last forever. It does last about a year and a half. The thing that's useful about me being able to see this and say this is, let's say I'm wrong. Okay, cool. I'm wrong. Let's say I'm right. 
then you prepare. It's about making sure that you put in place the spiritual, emotional, and psychological pieces you need to be able to self-care, right? Um, Not isolating yourself, making sure that you are checking in on your strong friends and you're checking on on your weepy, needy friends, you know, like making sure that you're doing what needs to be done so that we stay in this together. Because at the end of the day, when there are um, times of duress, we make it through together or we don't make it through. We come together in community or we struggle alone. And when we struggle alone, we're weaker. And so it's very important to remember to be interconnected in this period and to know that that's not always going to go well, but that's part of the lesson. It's like, who do you choose? How do you choose them? When I say I'm optimistic, I what I mean is that I feel we are getting to the root of the issue. I really feel that the next couple of years, we are doing the real, real work that w- has been required for decades and centuries. And that's why I'm optimistic. And I think that's my Scorpio nature. My eighth house nature is like, I love a makeover. I love a transformation. <laughs> <laughs> but Jessica, thank you so, thank you. so, so, thank so you. much. I was... never wanted to end. This was wonderful. <laughs> thank you for having me on. All right. Mwah. Take Stay care. in touch, please. Take care. Okay, bye. 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 Yes, for sure. Bye. Take care. Jessica Lignato. Her book, Astrology for Real Relationships, Understanding You, Me, and How We All Get Along, is available wherever good books are sold. She also hosts Ghost of a Podcast, a weekly show about astrology. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Our conversation with Jessica was recorded January 18th, 2021. Session. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? So, Thomas, what are you currently obsessed with? I'm obsessed with a poetry collection titled Zome Femme by Montreal writer, performer, artist Kamala Mackerel. You know them. I love them. They're a legend, an inspiration, a hero. They write about being from Mauritius, this island in the Indian Ocean that was colonized by the French and then moving to Canada and living in different places. What I really love in the book is this really deep commitment to uh, to a vision of love. They write about the flesh and the sun and the land and the people and the elders and and everything that is contained within the body. It's 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 like a very physical experience to kind of channel all of this. And I feel that this winter they're really helping me get through this really difficult time. Swami sat on the ground, opened his books and his charts, the entire cosmos with dots, lines, numbers, Sanskrit, spread in galaxies known and unknown, in the shape of traveling stars, suns and moons, fated and unfated. It was all written, my destiny. And what are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with an album that has the best album title I've ever heard. Honestly, it's called God Has Nothing to Do With This, Leave Him Out of It by Backwash. Of course. I mean, it's a great title, but why are you so obsessed with it? Because it's so confrontational. It's just like everyone's always trying to insert God into all these conversations. And here is Backwash just coming in and being like, look, God has absolutely nothing to do with this. So leave him out of it. And it's like, finally, someone's saying it. But also the music is this 
really, it works, but it's a strange mix of metal, electronic music, hip hop, uh, hip hop, rap, which are none of my <laughs> things. You know, like you know, and maybe some of our listeners know. Like I'm like a Madonna and Kylie Minogue fan. Like mm-hmm. I've never listened to a metal record in my life. Yeah, and I think it maybe it helps you channel something that well, you have in you for sure. I think what Backwash does an incredible job of doing is showing how anger can really be a force. And there's this one song on particular in the album called In the Void, which is about this experience that she had of trans violence. And it was hard to listen to because she's describing this sort of dangerous walk home at night alone, which is something that I've experienced many times in that fear But to hear this artist take that experience and make this song about it that is so empowering and that just confronts the fear head on, I just feel like Backwash is doing things on this album that as an artist, if I dare to call myself that, I would never have the guts to do. And so I feel like you feel inspired by Kama. I feel this inspiration to push what I'm doing even further, to go to these scarier places that Backwash has gone to and to sort of allow myself to be vulnerable in the way that Backwash has been on this album. Maybe it's my skin or maybe it's the way I dress. I'm tearing up my limbs and I won't make it to the next. I'm walking down the street and I'm anticipating death. All because a motherfucker looked at me and said, I go into the void. I know that your obsession is real, but I have to say that we have backwash on the show in the next episode. Which is the best part. (laughs) So you all listening right now. Go and listen to this album. You can find it at Backwash. That's B-A-C-K-X-Wash.Bandcamp.com. It's actually free to download, but if you can, donate a little amount for the album. It's really, really worth it. Listen to it. And then we get to reconvene in two weeks for our next episode and actually talk to Backwash. I love this. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, tell a friend about it, rate us, subscribe, all the usual stuff that actually really helps us out. So please do it. And of course, follow our new Instagram page at Chosen Family Show. And now it's time for the most exciting part of the show, the end credits. Chosen Family is produced by me, Thomas LeBlanc. And me, Trana Winter. Ada McMahon edits and mixes the show. Nantali Ndongo is our contributing producer. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tina Verma is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts. And Arif Narani is the executive producer. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. We are recording this season at Tome Park Studio. Listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. This has been an episode from the brand new season of Chosen Family. You can listen to more episodes and subscribe for free on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.